You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. When you wish upon a star, make no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. If your heart is in your dream, Welcome to Before They Were Live, a conversation about the Disney animated films in chronological order uh, in order to have some fun and increase our enjoyment and maybe find some redemptive insights into the films. Uh, We are looking at uh, 1940s Pinocchio today, and the name of our show is once again uh, very pertinent before they were live because a live action film is uh, scheduled or at least it's uh, uh, developed um, right now. It's in development. According to Wikipedia, as of May 2017, Sam Mendes is in talks to direct the movie from uh, Chris White's script. So uh, what do you think about that, Michael? Sam Mendes did American Beauty, right? Uh, you tell me. I'm pretty I, sure I'm, that's true. I couldn't tell you what a weird choice like he did american beauty and that gangster movie with tom hanks uh roads of perdition and then he did revolutionary road i think and and one of the james bond movies i mean Pinocchio's dark so maybe it he's is. the right director if you have to make a live action version of this i think my feelings about that phenomenon are pretty clear from our last episode that's right yeah so just to review uh we are not fans right yeah yeah it's safe to say yeah well you know tim burton is doing the live action dumbo and that's going to be a garbage barge yeah which is unfortunate because i really like dumbo and i also like tim burton to to a certain extent but i'm not interested in that at all so did you see did you see his nauseous alice in wonderland movies um i saw the first one there's been more than one, right? Yeah, they but, made a second one. Yeah. Was it as bad as it looked? It looked like somebody threw up a bunch of cotton candy. Um, it was not my favorite of his of his films. So, I'm not sure I've liked yeah. a Tim Burton movie since Big Fish. I was really interested in that one, but I never saw it. I wasn't sure how scary that was. Is it scary? I don't remember it being scary. It's oh, certainly okay. not as scary as like Sweeney Todd or uh, Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow was pretty scary. Yeah. As far as those things go. I I, I was kind of done with him, though, after uh, the Planet of the Apes movie he made, which was, it was so terrible. Mm, I also didn't see that one. I guess I shouldn't say, let's see, when I say I'm a fan of Tim Burton, what does that mean? Because You liked um, Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands? I do like Edward Scissorhands, and I actually liked his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, I I didn't didn't mind um, that one. So much of his, so. so much of his technique now is just to put Johnny Depp in a stupid costume. Yeah, it makes for a great trailer, maybe. Yeah, I don't know if Johnny Depp is supposed to be in Dumbo or not. I, I have no idea. When whenever I hear that anything is, <laughs> any of my animated features are being turned into live action, I just cringe and look away. And so I don't know. I don't have any. I have no idea. 
I saw I saw a Dumbo docket. I saw a a picture, a still photo of of Dumbo from that movie, and it, it looks awful. So, uh, I mean, we'll talk about Dumbo in what three months? I think so. It's coming up. It's coming up quickly here. No, it's number four. Oh. So we'll we'll talk. It, we'll we'll be talking about it in November. Okay. Right. So next is Fantasia. Is that right? Right. And then today, and today is Pinocchio. And if you missed it last month, we did Snow White. So you can go look in the uh, the vault uh, and hear our uh, Snow White episode. Or if you're listening to this in the future, if you found it somehow. Um, then we may have we may have a lot. So uh, you can go to our website, which is before they were dot live, and there you will find uh, both our upcoming episode and um, also uh, links to all of our past episodes. So you know though, uh, and hopefully you, that is true. You you have to go download this fast because soon we're going to close the vault forever. That's right. <laughs> exactly. That's why we called it the vault. So. We're just following Disney's uh, Disney's lead. So Pinocchio, where where should we begin with Pinocchio? Uh, well, did you watch it when you were a kid? I'm I'm always interested in this because this is another one I didn't see when I was a kid. Okay, so the, yes, let's start there. So you didn't see it as a kid. You saw it just as like, did you had you seen it before this watching when you watched it just now? Yes, but only once and probably seven or eight years ago. So I first saw it as okay. an adult. And what what's what was oh so I yeah you asked the question first. So I I must have seen it as a kid because watching it um to uh yesterday I was I remembered a lot of it. I was I was surprised at how much I remembered, but before I watched it, I could not remember. I remembered very little. I knew some of the main things that happened, like I knew that Pinocchio's nose grew when he lied, and I knew there was a whale, and I knew that he was uh, that he turned into a donkey. But like, I I couldn't have told you much else about it at all. But then watching it, I actually remembered a lot. So I must have seen it as a kid um, more than once. But I have very little impression of it from from childhood. You don't remember being frightened by it? I, I like I just can't imagine seeing this as a child. I don't remember actually. The, so the thing that I remember um, was that me and my brother uh, found it very funny when uh, Jiminy Cricket is first coming into the house. Uh, he's co- he comes in Geppetto's house at the very beginning of the movie, and uh, he's warming himself by the fire and he's narrating, and uh, he starts rubbing his uh, bottom. Uh, on the fire to warm it and he says as i was warming my myself <laughs> i don't know we just we always found that so hilarious because he doesn't say but he says as i was warming my myself <laughs> well you know disney loved butt jokes there's there's butt jokes yeah. in almost all the the features made while while disney was alive he 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 yeah. he thought butt jokes were just the funniest thing <laughs> in the world so I don't know. I don't know if he if he demanded that one or not, but I'm sure he approved of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a couple in this one. There's a couple in this one because Jimmy also puts his hand on the uh, on the little I don't know what what she is some sort of um, knickknack 
that uh, he puts his hand right on her butt and that without realizing it. And then, then when he realizes it, he's embarrassed. Jimmy Cricket's kind of a pervert though. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Cause he tries to follow the, he also tries to follow the girl into the house. Um, so. He puts on his glasses to, to ogle the uh, French dancing puppets in the, in the, I've got oh. no string sequence. <laughs> That, that's right. <laughs> he's very he's very angry about what Pinocchio has done until he sees those dancing French puppets, which I mean, it raises so many questions, doesn't it? Like he's a cricket and he's he's sexually attracted to wooden women. Yeah, or he doesn't really look well, like know, a cricket. Yeah, so yeah, the artist the artist uh, who who drew Jiminy, um, or who came up with the with the design, he was actually he went into. Uh, Walt Disney's office to resign because um, he's the one who drew the the soup scene in Snow White that got cut. <laughs> and so um, he was he'd spent all that time animating it and then the, they cut the scene. And so he actually was fed up and went in to resign and Walt Disney talked him into uh, designing the cricket and so designing Jiminy. Um, and so he designed him to look more like a cricket originally, but then just kept not, it wasn't right. It wasn't right. It wasn't right until he eventually made him to not look like a cricket at all. And so like his, his quote is he's a quick, he's a cricket because we say he's a cricket. Yeah. He looks like a little man with like a balloon head. Yeah, very much. So I, I, so. I'm freaked out by his human feet. <laughs> My Jiminy's human feet. Yeah, he has toes. It's 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 weird, and he, and he has big feet and big toes. And like at the beginning, he has holes in his socks, and you can see his toes. I don't know. That grosses me out. It always grossed me out to see Mickey Mouse's toes too, though. Maybe it, maybe I have a foot thing. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was my impressions as a kid. Was the butt the butt jokes worked for me as a kid? So, um, how about you as an adult when seeing it for the first time? What what was what were your main uh, impressions that you took away from it that it's incredibly scary and incredibly sad like like geppetto really bums me out this this lonely old man he 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 calls his goldfish his little water baby he does it twice that 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 to me is just the saddest <laughs> thing that's ever been in a movie is that this guy's so yeah. desperate for friends that he calls he calls a fish his water baby, and then when Pinocchio comes to life, he just insists on his goodness. He's such a good boy, on the basis of no evidence whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, in his defense, with uh, I think the fish's name is Chloe. Um, Cleo. The, that fish has a lot of personality. It's true. Yeah, it's not not just a, not just a normal goldfish. She has a she has a human face and all but that. But you're right. Yeah. Did you watch this with your children? I did not watch this one with my kids. I wasn't sure because I remembered so little of it. I didn't. I wasn't sure um, how they would handle it. And I also I did remember like I didn't really remember it being scary, but um, some of the the pre talk before before I watched it reminded me of some of the scary parts. So, which I'm sure we'll get to here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's much scarier than Snow White, which is already kind of scary. There's there's scary stuff in Snow White, but I mean, there's three or four sequences that if I'd seen this when I was six years old, I would have lost my mind. Yeah, this one's more haunting for sure. And and in particular, the 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 scene where Lampwick gets turned into a donkey. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Yeah, you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know how much I can say, but but it's 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 so well done. It, I mean, it's a it's a tour de force in terms of the animation. But man, it, it's it's shot in a scary way, and then like if you if you sit down and think about what's happening to this poor kid, and then what's going to happen to him once he's a donkey, it's uh, I, I don't know. I find it very disturbing. I, 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 I are you would you show this to your children now that you've seen it? No. Not without skipping several parts. Um, yeah, so at this point, no, I would not show it to them. I think it's, I think it's got two things going for it. One is it, it is scary in the moment, and then I think also it probably hits you harder as an adult. It's a little more haunting, maybe like, like yeah, what you were just saying, like the idea of what happens to Lampwick afterwards, or um, yeah, the little the little boy donkey Alexander. That oh. can still talk, you know, and he wants uh, to see his mom. I mean, it just rips, yeah, it rips your heart out. It's awful. Um, yeah, it's really bad. What I will say though is that I feel like there's a few uh, very human reactions from our characters within this movie that really uh, resonated with me. So um, Pinocchio watching Lampwick turn into a donkey is really. Uh, I think helps make the scene, right? Because at first he doesn't understand what's happening. <laughs> he looks at his drink because he thinks maybe he's had too much to drink and he pushes it away. And then he looks at his cigar and he puts that away. And then he's just horrified and he just runs out of there. Like he doesn't, you know, he doesn't look back. Um, and, you know, fortunately Jiminy comes to get him just at the right time so that he, he can run away. Um, but I feel like that is a very like human, uh, humanizing reaction that, that that sells the scene and i feel like there's a couple more of those um actually when geppetto first meets pinocchio um, <laughs> when he wakes up and he thinks somebody's in the house and it turns out to be pinocchio that whole scene i think he reacts in a very like realistic sort of way like he thinks he's dreaming he freaks out he dumps water on himself trying to wake himself up and uh the third one that that caught me was when um when Honest John and uh, Gideon, the cat, meet the, I don't think he has a name, the, the, the villain who is collecting the stupid boys to bring them to Pleasure Island. He's usually just called the Coachman. Okay, the Coachman. And he reveals like his, his, his evil plan. And they are, they're terrified by him. Mm-hmm. Like their, their reaction to him. Um, so yeah, those three kind of stood out to me as, as um, things that are happening in this movie that are very disturbing, and but the characters are also aware of their of it being disturbing, like they're they're acting appropriately um, to the to the situation. What's crazy to me about that scene with uh, I, he he's sometimes called Honest John and he's sometimes called Jay Worthington Foulfellow, which I think is so funny. I'm going to call him Foulfellow. Uh, what's 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 <laughs> funny really about like the that. scene with with him and Gideon meeting the coachman is they're they're so horrified by him as any reasonable person or anthropomorphic fox would be, and yet they go ahead and go <laughs> along with it. They take the money and they betray Pinocchio. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like they're they're terrified. You know. Like, oh, you think that if they don't do it. Yeah, because he says no double crossing me, and they say, oh yeah, yeah, of course not. So. Yeah.
What do you what do you think about uh about what would you call him? Foul fellow? Foul fellow. Jay Worthington Foul Fellow. Yeah. Jay Worthington Foul Fellow. Yeah, what do you what do you think about uh him and Gideon? Just in general. What were your impressions of them? They're they're pretty scary. I mean, you know, in in terms of this movie, they're they're the the third scariest villains because uh the, the coachman is just horrifying <laughs> and, and Stromboli is also very scary. Uh, but but yeah. they're used a little bit more for comic relief. I actually have a good quote here from uh, from uh, Christopher Finch, who wrote a book called The Art of Walt Disney. He says that um, the fox knows just when to throw a knowing glance, and the cat is a malicious dolt with an instinct for mischief. Neither is subject to the eruptions of sheer evil that determine Stromboli's personality. They are self-made villains. He's a force of nature. But but they're they're controllable. They they're in control of their actions, which may make them worse. But I think it does make them less scary. Because Stromboli, you get the sense like he can't control himself. That that scene where um, Pinocchio says he's going to go show that that counterfeit coin to his father, Stromboli just can't handle it. Mm-hmm. Like he he erupts. That's the that's the word. Uh, that's the word that that Finch uses. He is he's kind of this volcano of of pure emotion. And that that makes him that makes him scarier, right? Well, and you see that from the very first time that you see him, right? Like as soon as he's, as soon as Pinocchio starts and he falls down the stairs, he just lays into him in Italian, you know. Um, but the the crowd loves it, so the crowd sues him in a way because the crowd actually loves uh, the fact that Pinocchio fell down, but. Had the had the crowd not loved it, that would have been the end of Pinocchio right there. It would have just like. chopped him into firewood. We both read the novel, the Carlo Collodi novel that this is based on, and and Stromboli's not not as terrifying in the novel. Stromboli is is not as subject to fits of rage as he is here. That's probably the one thing from the novel they made more disturbing than the novel. Yeah, he's definitely frightening in the novel. Um, because he's, well, in the novel, um, Pinocchio's not the only anamorphic uh, talking marionette, right? Like, there's other talking marionettes. And so he's got these somewhat intelligent beings that he's that he's <laughs> subjugating to his, whatever, oppressing or, you know, using them as slave labor, and then chopping them into firewood in front of them, in front of each other. It's... Yeah, he's he's very disturbing in the novel too. I think. Yeah, I, but I guess he's I guess he's more in control of himself. Yeah, I think the I think what you brought up about the lack of control is really interesting, and I and yeah, and I think something too about just the visual of him and uh, his his girth. You know, like he's just he's animated in such a way that you really feel his his size and his presence, even in I mean in that scene where you, you were just talking about it gives the counterfeit coin to, to, to Pinocchio. Like he just, he takes up the entire, the entire coach, you know? Yeah. That's a good He's point. Just and, huge. and, and Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket are both so small that, that that's a, that's an effective visual technique they're doing. We, we, we should probably say yeah. that Stromboli is a very offensive Italian stereotype. <laughs> You know, he's he's subject yeah, to these. <laughs> he's also some right. people. Some people have that argued too. that he's a Jewish stereotype as well. That he has he has 
features typical of Jewish character caricatures from the from the early 20th century, especially his greed. Um, I I'm not sure that's the immediate way I read him. I read him more as an Italian stereotype, but certainly certainly Disney was not above playing on things like that. And that's I mean it's coming at an interesting time in in the 1940s, you know. Anyway, with you know just those those stereotypes obviously being very prevalent throughout World War II, so. Yeah, the the film the film is released five months or so after war breaks out in Europe. Yeah, and it really hurt the the box office for um, for Pinocchio because they weren't able to recoup their money on it because of the because of the war. They they weren't be able to distribute it in Europe in the same way or even Asia also I think so. Yeah, this was a this is a pretty big flop from my understanding. As was Fantasia. I'm I'm surprised they kept going after two flops in a row like that so early on. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it, and yeah, I guess we'll get to this as we um, in future episodes. So come back, the dear dear friends, and then listen to some more in the future. But um, yeah, I think really the the military propaganda films helped uh, helped to get them through uh, the war in a lot of ways. I think. We'll have to double check on that. So yeah, come back to us. But yeah, anyway, so Strom, so yeah, what, uh, Stromboli doesn't look like anybody else in the movie, and uh, I feel like Gideon and uh, Honest John don't look like anything else in the movie. Um, the Blue Fairy looks like nothing else in the movie. Nothing else, even in in Disney, I don't think. Right? Looks quite like the Blue Fairy. I think she looks not think dissimilar from Snow White. She has the same kind of nose. Mm. But yeah, certainly nothing else in this movie. She she's much more realistic than yeah. anybody else. So yeah, I found that I found that very interesting, just the the different the different types of, of characters that are that are all kind of thrown together into this somewhat cohesive narrative. Do you think that's on purpose? I think I think there's a, a couple things in there is just this is just me guessing i have no real uh insight on this but i'm wondering if it's just um you know all these artists mean work together on on a thing you know and so different different people's personal drawing styles maybe come out more clearly in a movie like this that's so early on than they would later when more of like a disney style has has set in but that's just that's just a guess on my part. What do you think? That, that makes that makes sense to me. I think it also fits the uh, to return to the novel. Uh, this is maybe one of the worst novels I've ever read, the the Collodi novel. And one of the things that makes it so bad, in my opinion, is that it, it it's really a bunch of stuff just kind of thrown together, and and. It works or it doesn't work. You know what I mean. And so I, I think the the kind of episodic uh, bricolage uh, feel of the novel maybe gets carried over into the character design. The the novel feels like a bunch of different books put together, the way this feels like a bunch of different characters styles artistically put together. I mean the the movie I think works way better than the novel, way better. This is this is just as generally considered the best the best Disney feature, isn't it? Yeah, I think this one is 
it's it ranks high. It's either you know I think I was I was reading through the the some of the rankings and awards it's received on Wikipedia earlier, and definitely it ranks high in most people's minds. Certainly, certainly, I, I think people consider it the best that Walt Disney worked on. I think I think there's an argument to be made about the uh, the the movies that come out in the early '90s, particularly Beauty and the Beast. But um, mm-hmm. I from everybody I read on this movie said it was Disney's masterpiece. I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, but but that's that's I think a, a pretty common position. Yeah. I can see it. I think um, I can understand why that why that would be the case. Definitely, it's it's uh, it's a compelling story, and it's um, it's really the art the artwork. I think for the most part is is very beautiful. I actually felt like the again talking about I, I really like that comparison between the novel and these characters. I don't no idea if that was intentional or not, but if it was, that was that was a good. Uh, move on their part i felt like honest john and gideon didn't fit in a way in this in this movie just the the way they looked like they really i didn't i didn't like them visually um as opposed to everything else but everything else in this movie i think looks fantastic the the cityscapes especially i think look fantastic Mm -hmm. the um the ocean uh monstro himself um, yeah, Monstro is wonderfully animated. Looks amazing. Yes, looks it's just so amazing. And so, yeah. I, I one one difference you talk about the cityscapes. One difference between this and Snow White is the the backgrounds in Snow White are watercolor, and the backgrounds in this are oil paintings. Which is, I mean, one reason why Snow White looks so different from everything else is it uses those watercolor backgrounds. Although I think Bambi does too. Anyway, mm-hmm. the reason the reason the cityscapes look so beautiful here is is that they're they're thicker. They they're they they feel more substantial than the backgrounds in Snow White. Yeah, I saw a, a quote from one of the animators who's who's talking about how this was Disney's. Um, he was reaching for perfection is what he said. He wanted everything to be round and solid. And they were talking about just um, new, all the new things that they invented in order to make this movie look the way it did um, with uh, different ways that they were blending uh, inks and colors and different airbrushing uh, techniques and things like that um, to really make everything have a, a weight to it. So... Yeah, again, that attention to detail. Um, we, we, I talked about last time, I, I talked about how Snow White had actual blush applied to her face by, by the colorists. Here, every time, mm-hmm. every single cell that Figaro appears in, there is an airbrush. I, I think it's the, the white on him. I think that's airbrushed on every single cell. Now, why do you have to do that? Most people are yeah. never going to notice it, but Disney's just obsessed with getting every detail of these movies perfect. And m- maybe whether you notice the particular airbrush or not, you can feel how much care they took with this movie. I think that's really right. I think that that's true in a lot of th- a lot of art and a lot of, I mean, maybe just things in general, right? There's a there's even if you don't notice the smallest details, somehow the the accumulation of them resonates with you in, in a way that you might even not be able to put a word on or might not even be like at a conscious level, but, but somehow 
like there's there is that understanding of of the level of of care and, and craftsmanship that went into this thing. Well, it reminds me a little bit, and oh, talking about highfalutin references, but it reminds me a little bit of medieval cathedrals, which have these details in areas that human eyes can't see. Like the people didn't even know these details were there until helicopters existed because you couldn't see them. And the idea was they were building them mm. for God. Like the angels, the angels could see these intricate carvings on the top of the cathedral. Um, maybe mm. there's something similar going on. I don't know. I don't know how much the animators saw themselves as animating for God, but certainly, certainly taking that amount of care demonstrates their love for this product. This is this is not just something they're attempting to make money off of. This is this is craftsmanship. Yeah. Yeah. So and and so talk about some places, some other places where you feel like you see that in this movie. Well, I I, I think Figaro is a good example, but also that opening shot when when it's panning into uh, to Geppetto's uh, called a laboratory, but that's not right. Uh, Geppetto's workshop. That's that's a, a really unusual shot for that period. Um, uh, it, it, that that sort of zoom in. It's it's made possible by the multiplane camera that we talked about last time. But it's also it's also made pop, uh, possible by the uh, the very thick backgrounds. I'm also not sure you could have done it in live action in 1940. I don't think you you could have had a camera steady enough to to zoom in quite to, to quite the degree they did. Although, if anybody listening to this knows more about the history of film than we do, I would love to be corrected on that. Uh, I think the the shots of Monstro are are also pretty intricate um roger ebert points out that monstro i'm trying to think of the best way to explain this monstro exists off camera he he comes in from the right if you look at most Mm. animation from the late 30s you don't get the sense that these things that happen off camera so so we may not even notice that because because we live in a post pinocchio world but um, Monstro is the, the the animation on him is very sophisticated just from a staging perspective, and and I suspect the movie is full of little shots like that that are difficult for us to notice because again, we've seen lots of movies that Pinocchio influenced. That's right. Yeah, last time you asked me about going back to that shot, that kind of opening shot last last week, you had asked me. If I if I had the impression that Walt Disney um, was a, like a great a great man version of history, where it, you know like all these, you explained it better. Where, how do you remember the question that you asked me last time? I, I guess I asked whether um, whether we should see these movies as the product of his mind or whether we should see these movies as a product of a committee. Yeah, and I, and I I think I said maybe a little bit of both, but it's interesting because that that particular scene that you um that you mentioned uh that opening scene and and the way that 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 the camera moved in there the way that he was able to imagine that that according to this uh neil gabler uh book that i've been reading along with watching the movie is called walt disney and the triumph of the american imagination um according to that 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 sprung from him like that was in a in a you know in a story meeting that he came up with that that whole thing and so I think there are moments where uh, his greatness um, or his ability to imagine and visualize things in new ways really do come through in these movies. 
Um, but then obviously they're also a work of incredible um, amount of collaboration and teams, you know, like Walt Disney for as great as he was, was not the chemist that was coming up with the ways to uh, blend, um, <laughs> you know, the airbrushing and the, and the, and the other types of coloring or whatever, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> so he was, he was pushing for it. Like there was something specific that he wanted to see and he was employing those people to do it. But um, it's obviously the work of a, of a committee, you know, like he's not drawing all these things himself. So. Well, and yeah, I mean, he doesn't draw anything after, after the late 1920s. Disney doesn't, doesn't draw. I mean, he has he has almost That's no true. role in the in the no direct role in the visuals of the movies. He he just directs other people. Which I mean, maybe that's a special yeah, kind exactly. of genius. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, but I, yeah, I think that that opening shot, you know, even even as they were even as I was reading about it in the book before I had gone back and watched the movie, I could I it it was in my head, you know, I was like, oh yes, yeah, I know exactly what what's being described here because it is a just a remarkable uh, piece of work to go back to the book one more time I, I know we're talking about the movie not the book but did you did you see any other things uh out of the book uh in the movie that you felt were like an homage to the book or something like that uh the one that i i, I have one in mind but i was going to see uh what what you noticed i i, I want to hear what you have in mind because I, I don't know that i have another one. Oh, so the old yeah the only one that i I wondered if this was, you know, a, a sly reference to people who knew the book well as they were watching the movie is when uh, Jiminy, um, he, he sleeps in his first morning on the job uh, as Pinocchio's conscience. And so he's running to chase, to catch up with him. And already Pinocchio has gone astray and has, um, uh, uh, I keep forgetting the guy's name, Honest John and Gideon have, um, are taking him to school. And so, uh, for whatever reason, Jiminy does not want to be seen by them. And so he's he jumps up onto Honest John's hat and is trying to get Pinocchio's attention. And Gideon pulls out a giant mallet to try and smash uh, Jiminy, uh, which in the in the book, uh, Pinocchio kills uh, the cricket with, with a mallet. That's true. In the very, like, the very first that. time he meets him, he kills him with a mallet. And so I was wondering if that was just like a, a gentle nod towards the book. The, yeah, the cricket is alive in that book for like three paragraphs before before Pinocchio kills him. <laughs> yeah, Pinocchio is much meaner in the book than he is in the movie. Like like Pinocchio, when he is still a piece of wood, beats the crap out of Geppetto. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. He is sentient before he's even carved into a boy. Like it's he's somehow within the wood. He's already. Uh, causing problems because he causes an argument and and things like that by just by his words. So yeah, they actually um, invented this Jiminy Cricket role uh, because because of that because of how 
wicked and evil <laughs> Pinocchio is in the book. They just couldn't find a way for the audience to connect with him. They couldn't find a way to make him or lovable until they came up with this idea of actually having Jiminy guide you into the story. Um, so he's the first one that you meet. And then uh, he's he's actually the one who helps you relate to Pinocchio. And obviously they 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 smoothed out some of Pinocchio's edges too. Yeah, just a, um, just a book, few of them. But, <laughs> right. but, but I think Jim, Jiminy was in the uh, as they were developing the story. Jiminy was the was the key that finally kind of unlocked it for them as far as like how are we going to uh, tell the story in a way that that makes it approachable. And he's certainly a big personality. Yeah, he's a huge personality in the story. Pinocchio. So, Pinocchio is kind of dull. You know, Pinocchio is small in his way. So you need you need Jiminy Cricket there to push the the movie along. Yeah, because Jiminy knows so much from the very beginning, and Pinocchio doesn't know anything, right? Yeah, although I, I think part of the comedy of the movie is that Jiminy gets named Pinocchio's conscience on the basis of no particular qualifications, and screws up <laughs> royally throughout the movie. Like, like he, you know, everybody remembers the song he sings, uh, Give a Little Whistle. But the truth is, that's right. It's he almost he almost never tries to stop Pinocchio from doing the bad things he's doing, and and one of the times he does try to stop him is when Pinocchio goes to try to save Geppetto from the whale. Like he tries to keep him from doing that, and it's that sacrifice that ends up saving Pinocchio. So uh, I I think I think there's a lot of humor in the movie from the fact that Jiminy Cricket is pretty incompetent as a conscience. Yeah. So I want you to hold that thought on what saves Pinocchio, because I definitely want to come back to that. But I want to stick on Jiminy for a, a little bit longer. So, um, yeah, Jiminy as a conscience. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes in this, uh, in that whole thing is when he's trying to explain to <laughs> Pinocchio what uh, temptation is and what <laughs> basically like these sort of ethical scenarios where and doing the wrong thing seems like the right thing, and when doing the and he just completely muddles it all that's it was I, I just love that part i like when uh pinocchio goes and joins stromboli and jiminy cricket says well he doesn't need me anymore what does an actor need but a conscience that's right <laughs> a nice little dig maybe at uh i don't know it's I sad think, though because the actor who played jiminy cricket i think his name is cliff edwards um, mm-hmm. he he was an alcoholic and he died in a in a like a old folks home for actors and the only reason he was even able to be in there is that the Walt Disney Company gave him a bunch of money at the end of his life so uh, you know maybe he could have used more of a conscience himself that 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 joke uh, if you if you know about Cliff Edwards it gets a little sad although Cliff Edwards had a pretty sad yeah, life I guess sad. yeah. But but he does a great job as Jiminy, and uh, yeah, I think Jim I think Jiminy is in a lot of ways the the star of the movie. Well, and they they liked him so much they brought him back. He's the narrator of uh, Fun and Fancy Free, which is one of the uh, which which is one of the movies from the '40s that's just a bunch of shorts. Mm. I think it's Fun and Fancy Free. Yeah, and he also narrates a lot of the. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it maybe maybe the, make um, my music or melody time. It's one of those package uh, movies. 
Yeah. Yeah, later he does the sing-alongs. Yeah, he does, doesn't like he? The, the package, package sing-alongs, he, he narrates those all as well. So so maybe the Blue Fairy didn't turn him just into a conscience, but into a narrator. Well, he does get that gold badge at the end. 18 yeah. carat. Which, I, yeah. I mean, maybe, there, maybe there's something to say there about uh, the role of story in, you know... Uh, helping us distinguish right from wrong and stuff like that. That's, that's part of where our conscious comes from is from, is from the narrators in our lives. It's, that's very Alistair McIntyre. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about highfalutin. <laughs> yeah. And, and after virtue, he says to know whether a given action is right or wrong. You have to know what story you're inhabiting first. Huh? Somebody's got to write that paper. It's not going to be me, but somebody's got to write it. <laughs> Yeah, and anybody anybody can take it. Yeah, it's, fine, it's fine up for me. grabs if take nobody's it. written it already. Well, and that's interesting because the um, the morality of this movie is very very simplistic, right? I mean, th- there's no there's no real moral quandaries. It it's clear immediately what right and wrong are. Pinocchio is always in the wrong until he's in the right, which I mean makes sense if you think of the sort of narrative this is, the sort of story this is, as being a movie for for children at least in part the certainly the morality of the movie is directed at children even if um if, mm-hmm. even if not the entire movie is yeah for yeah i agree and so i was yeah so let's come back around to your point about what saves pinocchio because at the at the beginning or you know near the beginning of the movie when when pinocchio first is the blue fairy first visits uh, Geppetto's workshop, and Geppetto is sleeping, and she says uh, his wish is going to be granted because of the joy uh, that he has brought to others. And then she says to Pinocchio that it's his responsibility to become a become a real boy. It's it's his own responsibility. He he must be brave and truthful and unselfish. So if you just look at that on the surface, it seems like sort of a a works righteousness, right? You have to do these these xyz things in order to to meet it um but uh, what i'm wondering is when i watch the movie i don't i don't feel like pinocchio really accomplishes any of those things do you do you feel do you disagree with me well i i don't know about truthfulness i mean he has the the very famous scene that everybody remembers where he where his nose grows and a, a bird's nest ends up on the end of it um, that that's where yeah. he learns what truth and falsehood is, and and I I had remembered that happening several times throughout the movie, but it really is just the one time. Yeah, it's just one time, which I was I was super surprised by as well when I watched it this time. I was like, doesn't doesn't that's like what everybody? I mean, right now the the Wall Street uh, not not the Wall Street sorry the Washington Post ranks um, ranks uh trump's statements as pinocchios like right. they give it like a one to like a one to five pinocchio scale right um yeah but it, it does only happen the one time it's also worth pointing out in the book it doesn't just happen because he lies it happens anytime he gets stressed out mm. but anyway so i'm not i'm not sure he i'm not sure he he's really truthful but he's certainly brave if you take um, Jiminy Cricket to be his conscience, he actually goes against his conscience to save Geppetto, and 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 he's certainly unselfish in the sense that he seems to have died um, 
from from rescuing Geppetto from Monstro. So I I, I do think I do mm. think he's he he has made a sacrifice, and he has he has demonstrated his bravery. Yeah, yeah, I could certainly follow that and and see that. I was wondering if there was actually some more grace in this movie than would initially, like you might initially see there, because um, with the with the truthfulness thing specifically, that's when the blue fairy shows up for the second time and basically says. I can I can get you out of this, right? Like you weren't truthful, but you know I'll teach you what truthfulness is. And then you know she, it's basically just an act of grace that that rescues him. And then um, when he goes to see uh, when he goes to rescue Geppetto, I I agree with you there. Like that 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 is a um, definitely a brave act to go to the whale. Um, it's not entirely for unselfish reasons right like he's he's trying to get back to family in a way yeah well i mean at a certain at a certain point you're just going to be making an egoist argument that that nothing we do is unselfish i mean he does give up his life to save geppetto even if he would be getting something out of saving geppetto i think i think it's probably right to call that a relatively unselfish act certainly more than i've ever done okay (laughs) <laughs> as far as as far as the the scene with the blue fairy, she does say she. As far as we know, yeah. As far as the scene with the blue fairy, she does um. She does say she can't do it again. That she can she can get yeah. him out of it this time, but after that she's she can't. Yeah. Although she does turn into a dove and bring him that letter that says uh, where Geppetto is. After a very, I think, very effective and sad scene where he goes home and there's nobody in Geppetto's house. Yeah, I think I I agree with you. That's very effective. And that was the other. That was that actually was going to be part of my. Is this is this grace in some way? Um, you know, is is the you have a you have a letter coming from a dove? Is there is there, you know, could we see symbolism there? Of like a Holy Spirit and and you know the word of God coming in a way to actually lead him to, to do the right thing. It's, it's, it's kind of a conscience. I, I, um, I don't know. I, I don't see this as being a meaningfully Christian movie. Um, I'm not sure if any of the Disney movies are, but this, this one in particular seems so built on, on ethics. Um, that, that I, uh, I, I, as you say, it's it's more of a works righteousness situation, uh, in the sense that whatever Pinocchio gets, he earned after after he's released that one time. Yeah. Do you disagree? I I I really I I don't know. I haven't I I was just thinking of it. So the, the these I mean what what I've shared are my thoughts. Like I I I was just thinking it through, wondering if wondering if you could look at it. Um, if you have an idea of of grace and the role of grace in all of our lives, if if looking at this movie, if if that would affect the way that that you saw it versus um, just reading it as kind of the surface level, um, I, I don't mean that in a uh, maybe maybe that is all there is to it, right? Like is that this is that it's very simplistic and straightforward, as you said. Um, I was wondering if there was if there was a deeper thing there 
for you know for eyes that would see or whatever but maybe there isn't maybe i'm i'm stretching things too far i don't see one but i'd love to i'd love to hear an argument for one yeah well i was just wondering if like the because <clears throat> i was wondering what the actual you know what what makes um pinocchio into into a real boy you know like what what is it that that finally does it I was reading um, a little bit from uh, what's this, this book called Tending the Heart of Virtue, How Classic Stories Awaken a Child's Moral Imagination by uh, Vigen, Vigen, I'm sorry, I'm just going to butcher this guy's name, Vigen Gorian. And he was arguing um, that, at least in the book, that um, it's, it's actually the wood-headedness or the stubbornness of Pinocchio that is that is the moral lesson that's being taught. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in the movie, um, it's more. Well, he didn't really go into the movie as much. Like he basically he spent a lot of time talking about the book and the 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 theme of uh, love and responsible relationship with with parents and siblings is at the very core of the story. But I didn't get that from from reading the story myself what i what i got mostly from the book is is the perversity of of pinocchio like he sees the right thing and he chooses the wrong thing which is i i think i don't like the book i think the movie is vastly superior to the book in almost every way but that's a more interesting that's a more interesting moral scenario to me than the book than, than the movie is because because this this is this is a person who seems more like a real child to me. Now, I don't know. I don't have children. You do. You tell me if this is wrong. But I think most of the time the issue with children is not that they don't know what the right thing is. The issue is not that they're naive the way Pinocchio is naive. It's that they've been, at least been told what the right thing to do is and they choose to do the wrong thing. Mm. But you're, you, you're the one yeah, with actual think... experience. No, I, I totally agree with you. I think Pinocchio is overly naive, and I think that's a, that's a big part of what drives the story forward, right, is just his naivety. Like, he has no idea that, you know, going to be an actor instead of going to school is, <laughs> like, you know, that, that he's being swindled. And then he has no idea, you know, that he's being swindled again. Actually, he act well... Yeah, the second time when he goes to Pleasure Island, he is he is much more he's saying no, but he's he's overpowered is more the thing in that one, I feel like, than his naivety. Yeah. No, I could see that. And but also the second not... one, you, you could make a case that he does know the right thing to do, or at least he knows that these uh th- these people have led him astray before. Right. So yeah, I guess I guess he's naive in that sense in how to how to escape it, right? Like how to how to actually get out of the situation because he's saying no, but then he is very excited about the <laughs> the card that that uh, the free ticket that he's been offered, which is actually just a playing card. Yeah, the, um, the ace so of that, spades. That again shows his <laughs> yeah. That again shows his extreme uh, lack of of comprehension of what's really happening to him or what's what's happening around him. You you compare him to the other kid we see in Pleasure Island, Lampwick, and and he doesn't look like such a bad guy after, after all. I mean, Lampwick is That's yeah. Lampwick is a little monster. 
Yeah, that's really true. Lampwick is the much Lampwick closer to what Pinocchio people. is in the book than than Pinocchio is. I think. Right. Yeah. So Lampwick, the the two things Lampwick does not have going for him that Pinocchio does is uh, he doesn't have the conscience uh, with Jiminy, and he doesn't have the blue fairy, right? And so I think that's that goes back to my my questioning. I'm not sure I'm making a, an argument here, but my questioning of is it is it Pinocchio himself? Is it just like somehow? whatever the goodness within Pinocchio, this works righteousness thing that is actually leading to his salvation, or is it these outside influences, which I would call grace working in his life that are allowing him to finally make good decisions. And even though it doesn't, um, but I guess it does fully work out either way. Right. Cause he gets, it's his idea to, to sneeze them out of, out of Monstro. So, no, but I think I, I think that's a good point. Is that he he's been given certain advantages that a, a kid like Lampwick doesn't have. But the reason he gets those advantages, the reason he has the blue fairy, is that Geppetto was good. The blue fairy comes because Geppetto deserves to have this puppet come to life. Which, uh, right. given what happens to Geppetto because this puppet comes to life, I'm not. Maybe she's actually punishing him. <laughs> and of course, in the in the novel, Geppetto's a Geppetto's a monster too. He yells at children. And, yeah. Not a monster. He's a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. It's a far cry from the Geppetto of the movie. So, that's right. <clears throat> talking about weird theology in uh in pinocchio <laughs> we, we've got to talk about wishing because because the uh mm. the, the movie's version of faith is this wishing upon a star no no request is too extreme right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and it, it's weird you know i uh I, I, I don't know how much you interact with, with Disney fans online, but people take that very seriously. It, like, it, it really is almost a metaphysics, the, 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 this idea that, that wishing and dreaming have real power. And certainly if you go to the theme parks, uh, that, is the, uh, that is the aggressive message. And maybe it's the aggressive mm. message of all the movies. It certainly it came up in Snow White, right? Uh, the the if if the well sings back to you, I think your wish is going to come true, or something. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah, there's there's definitely. <laughs> I was wondering about that, you know, because uh, in Cinderella she says, um, "A dream is a wish that your heart makes." Uh-huh. Or whatever the however the song that's, goes. That's, that's how it goes. Um, and it, yeah, I, I, if you keep on believing, then that will come true. But she also says that you can't tell, you can't tell it, or it won't come true. You know, so there's like a lot of, I don't know, superstitious type 
type things around around this this whole idea of of dreaming and wishing and and what exactly needs to happen in order to make that actually a reality it's really a very elaborate metaphysics i mean i'm sure somebody somewhere has written down all the rules that disney has for dreaming and wishing uh yeah <laughs> i don't know if they're meant to be interconnected movie to movie but yeah, maybe they really. are <laughs> <laughs> these these movies all i don't know if they all take place in the same uh same giant universe but um but yeah so you're right that that there's definitely some problems there right for the if you, if you have a <laughs> for anyone with an alternate metaphysics right right like there's there's some troubles with this. yeah so it is certainly a non-christian metaphysics yeah yeah so what 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 do we do with that like what what's 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 a what's a response oh i don't know <laughs> um other than just to point out how ridiculous it is, but in order to really engage with the movies, you have to kind of accept it on some level. Like it's the premise of the movie. Yeah. I, I again, I'm I'm interested in I'm interested in children. Like how 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 seriously do children take this, and what happens when, as all children do, they watch a movie that takes this as its metaphysics. They watch it 200 times. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you said you didn't watch this one much as a kid, but sur- surely as a kid you had some sort of crazy, like, if I do this, then this will happen type type beliefs, right? Right, yeah. That wishing and dreaming thing is kind of a child's metaphysics. But I don't know if they're getting it from Disney or if Disney's getting it from them. Well, I, yeah. I, I think I would tend to say Disney's getting it from them, right? Like I, th- I think it's a, I think the charitable, the charitable reading of the wishing on a star or dream is a wish your heart makes or whatever, like the the charitable way to view it would be that this is a, it is a naive sort of metaphysics and a naive sort of way of thinking, but it's it's a pointer to the fact that there is, there is something beyond just what you what you see and what you what you know right like there there's something greater there's a and and as naive as it is as childish as it is and as innocent as it is that it's that it's actually a a signpost in a way towards there's something greater out there that is more charitable than i uh suggested i agree <laughs> i mean i mean maybe that's the right way to read it i mean maybe I, I, uh, may, maybe what we're dealing with is just enchantment and, and we should be happy that in 1940, in the midst of World War II, in a, in a severely disenchanted time, somebody was out there trying to re-enchant the world. I mean, that, that is, I think, an admirable thing coming out of the Great yeah. Depression, this, this idea that, th- this idea that, um, the universe is not a hostile place to human life that it that that there are there are forces even if they're not named the things we would prefer they be named even if the metaphysics doesn't look the way we'd prefer it to look that there are forces that are interested in human suffering Mm. yeah so that's the charitable reading 
we could go the other way too, right? Like we could go and say, well, this is just, um, I, I don't know, what would you say? Like it's, it's the, the, um, the people who already have all the privilege anyway, um, saying, believing that somehow they did it themselves, even though actually the system was set up in order to allow them to achieve it, but in order to make themselves feel good and basically to keep other people down, they say, well, you're just not, you're just not wishing hard enough. You're not dreaming hard enough. You're not following all these whatever ridiculous rules <laughs> of whatever to make this happen or keep dreaming, keep wishing, you know, and things will change for you. Like that would be the, that would be the other extreme, I think. Right. Yeah. There's a kind of quietism to that. Isn't there that, that if you, if you just wait, good things will happen to you. There's something sentimental about it. I mean, there's not something sentimental about it. It's deeply sentimental. That this idea yeah. that not just not just there's something in the universe that is concerned with human suffering, but the universe exists in order to give you your deepest desires. When Christianity mm. starts looking like that, it's a heresy. Um, now, this doesn't yes. claim to be Christian. And so I'm not sure you can call it a heresy, but it's, it's, it's troubling in its way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's one of the fascinating things about these movies and about uh, Walt Disney himself and, and the things that he created is that there is that way to, to really look and, and see them in either way. Right. Like you can, like you can, I think either of those are le- are legitimate ways to perhaps look at this movie, right? Oh, uh, sure. Does I mean, do, do you find one more appealing than the other, or do, do are you do you have a third way? I I think you kind of have to hold both of them. I, I James K. Smith in Desiring a Kingdom talks about these things called cultural liturgies, which are which are uh, uh, essentially. Uh, things that train our souls without our realizing that's what they're doing. And that, that's why I'm interested in children who watch this movie a hundred times or whatever, whatever their favorite Disney movie is. We've all, we all did it, right? I, I must've seen the jungle book a hundred times mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Yeah. So what sorts of, what sorts of visions of the good life are being instilled in you when you watch this over and over again? And I, I think in that sense, you have to be critical of it because, because, if you're a Christian, the vision of the good life this movie presents is, to the degree it's Christian at all, only incidentally so, and full of all sorts of other garbage that is uh, unchristian at best and and perhaps even anti-Christian. I think that works righteousness um, thing is mm. is pretty powerfully anti-Christian. Um, and yeah, yet, sure. and yet, you also you also have to be able to take what's good from it, um, and and there are good things in it. I, I I guess I wonder whether children are prepared to do that, or maybe 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 it's just that their their parents have to talk to them about what what these movies do right and what these movies do wrong. And again, it's easy for me to say that because I don't have children and have never had tried to have such a conversation with a child. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I, I yeah. defer to your uh, wisdom here, Josh. Yeah. Well, I think ninety nine percent of parenting is trying to do (laughs) trying to do right and making it up as you go and um you know every once in a while something works and it's by god's grace probably not 
by what you did anyway. You but, hope you don't screw them up too um, badly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I think there are levels of these conversations that you can have. Definitely, I <laughs> I don't I don't know how much I irritate my 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 own kids when I try and have these conversations with them. But there's there's picture books and things that we read where I I say now. <laughs> here's why this is really ridiculously wrong but yeah but you don't so. try to like get them to disbelieve in magic right i mean the the problem the problem with this movie is not that there's a spiritual world right yeah exactly do, do your kids have a movie they watch over and over again um you know they they don't watch a lot of movies um but like we kind of try and limit their their screen time um but they do they yeah they find they watch a lot of my little pony and um there's definitely you know magic elements in there um and so yeah i don't i don't know i don't know what we've done specifically to address the idea of of magic and you know whether magic exists or doesn't exist or or those sorts of things I mean, we we read Narnia um, quite frequently too. We're on our—I don't know how many times we've read through the, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and we've read the whole series. But the Lion, the Witch, and Wardrobe is is one of the favorites, so we keep coming back to it. So, um, yeah, it's a good question. But, I mean, from a, from a Christian perspective, those books are largely training your children in the in the appropriate direction, right? I mean. There are things in there you would probably need to address, I suppose. I don't know. I haven't read those books in a long time. But the the overall movement of those books is a Christian movement. Um, whereas I, I really I don't see that in Pinocchio. I, I don't see an overall Christian direction to the movie. And I'm, I'm yeah. not saying every movie has to have one. And I'm not saying Christians shouldn't be able to enjoy movies that don't or even that they should feel bad about enjoying movies that don't. But I, I think I think that overall movement is something worth thinking about, especially when you're dealing with children watching it over and over again. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it is it is um, it is shaping the way that that all of us, you know, I mean, kids are more uh, uh, what malleable, I guess, um, just because they're they're so fresh in in their thoughts and and their their understanding of of what is is real and what isn't real um but all of us are are definitely influenced by the media that we watch or take in or read or or whatever and we have to be aware of aware of those things i think i think you make a great point there yeah t.s Eliot says that in uh he has an essay called religion and literature where he says the books you really have to worry about are the ones that you read in order not to think. So, so the the books mm. you're the books you're reading in order to critique, the books you you read with a pen so you can make notes in the margin, those books are less likely to affect you than whatever you read when you go home at the end of the day and just want to relax. In in our day, that would be watching TV or, or movies, I suspect, rather than reading. Um, those are the things that really form you without you even being aware of it. And I mean, so maybe yeah. my point is just you need to be we we need to be aware of it. We need to be careful that we don't yeah. we don't buy into it too much. Right. So where do you fall on the idea of? Um, so as, as you you're 
let, let's say you're watching Pinocchio. You, you'd say you're watching it with a kid or you're just watching it for yourself either way. And you see that it's, it's pointing toward, pointing not towards Christianity. It's pointing away, right? Like, so as, as you're aware that in some way this is shaping your imagination, then like, I guess, the, what are the options there, right? Like what, what are the, what's the way that you're looking at it as far as, um, your responsibility to find a, a redemptive, redemptive message or your responsibility to, um, you know, turn away things that are not true and, and replace them with truth in your mind or like, you know what I mean? Like what? Yeah, I don't know. I, um, does my question make sense? It does. I don't know that I have a very good answer to it. And, and the truth is lots of times, I watch stuff without critiquing it at all, and I'm sure it's it's it tends to be sitcoms for me. Uh, I I've been watching through Frasier, and and I don't really think about it. And what's interesting is I find myself wanting the sort of life Frasier has, which is not a not a Christian mm-hmm. life in any meaningful way, and yet, you know, your desires get shaped by it. And so I I think really maybe the solution is to be eternally vigilant to the point where maybe you don't enjoy things as much as you would if you just submitted to them but maybe the price of that submission is is higher than the price of unenjoyment i don't know but i I don't want to i i know i i'm sure i'm coming off as like holier than thou here and i really don't mean to because because the the truth is i'm not no i don't i don't think you are at all well, the reason I'm asking you is because I, I, I'm really interested in, in what, where you come down on things like this, because I, I do know that you are, I mean, you teach English at a Christian college, right? So you're, you're teaching this stuff all the time, like that doesn't necessarily have a Christian lean to it. So, you know, what's obviously you're, you're immersed in it. How do you like, what, what do you do with it? You know? I think that's I, that's fascinating. I, I will say that the the stuff with offensive content, I think, is in some ways less dangerous than the stuff that is very close to Christian, or or maybe maybe rather than very close to Christian, what we should say is it it stuff that reinforces uh, American middle class morality, which which Pinocchio definitely reinforces American middle class morality. The problem is that American mm. middle class morality is not Christian. You know, it, that's not those those terms aren't synonymous, and and the more we believe they are, the more damage we've done to Christianity. Yeah. But again, beyond just being aware of it, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Yeah. I, I certainly wouldn't say, well, you shouldn't be watching Pinocchio, but. Maybe, maybe not watching Pinocchio wouldn't be a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah, what I, what I hear you saying, Michael, is that our whole the whole premise of our show of how how can we enjoy these things more is 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 deeply flawed from the beginning and, and possibly unchristian. Well, maybe what I maybe what I enjoy is being a jerk about them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I know I'm coming off as a real Johnny Church here, but uh... <laughs> but I really I don't I don't feel that you are, and maybe that's just because I'm even more Johnny Church than you are, or something. But I I don't think you are. I think I mean I 
these are things that I, I wonder frequently and I, I, um, I do, I do wonder about shaping our imaginations. And I do think about, um, uh, what you just said about, uh, forming our desires and, um, our liturgies and, and all those things are, are things that, I mean, this is, this has been a fascinating conversation for me, if, no, if nothing else. So, um, I'm not sure this is the yeah, direction I, I, I saw, I saw our discussion of Pinocchio going. <laughs> I, I didn't either. I didn't. I did not plan on on any of this. My my notes went in a totally different direction. But um, but yeah, I find I find all that stuff really interesting. So um, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing all that. That's I, I don't think you're coming off as a as a holier than thou at all at all. So well, I hope not. I hope not too. Come on to the theater. Hi, diddly an actor's life for me A high silk hat and a silver cane A watch of gold with a diamond chain I did every day An actor's life is gay It's great to be a celebrity An actor's life for me Well, is there anything else? Is there anything else you wanted to mention about Pinocchio? It's a beautiful movie. There's lots and lots of beautiful stuff in it. It's 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 really well made. Um, the 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 acting performances are mostly good. Um, the art is beautiful. There's butt jokes. There are butt jokes. Multiple butt jokes. <laughs> oh, we haven't talked about the music. Do you like the you you like the music better? I know you didn't oh, really do. like some of the the songs in Snow White. Right. Oh, so actually, yeah, that. that... That would be good. This this could be a good place for us to end our conversation. Would be the 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 growth that you see in in the Disney features from Snow White to this. So there's about three years uh, from when Snow White was released to when this was released. And I think um, one of the areas where they definitely improved was the music. And I think even in the 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 subtlety, if you can call it that, of the music, the way the music plays a much like. I felt like the music in Snow White, as we mentioned last week, almost felt like a really well done silly symphony stuck into uh, the future film. Whereas I felt like the 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 music in this one was more organic in a way. Like it didn't feel like, other than the maybe the stuff with the music boxes and Geppetto dancing around, still mm-hmm. felt a little um, more silly symphony ish. But beyond that, I felt like it. It was more organically tied to the story and tied tied to the movie itself. Like I've, I've got no strings is is actually a song sung in the reality of the movie. Right. Yes. Exactly. What are the songs? So there's "When You Wish Upon a Star." There's "I've Got No Strings" and there's um, "Give a Little Whistle." Am I missing a song? "Little Wooden Head," Geppetto's song that he sings. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, uh, basically right. nobody thinks about, I think. Yeah. Are there no songs in the back half of this movie, basically? Let me look. I have the soundtrack on iTunes. I should check it out before we say something ignorant. I have a song called A Real Boy, but I don't remember that. It, it must be. It's the last song on the soundtrack. So it must be. Uh, it, it must, must be, be what they right sing at the, at the end after he's. Yeah. When he's resurrected. And we left out what I think is probably the best song in the movie, High Doodle Dee Dee, an actor's life for me. 
Oh yeah, I was going to totally mention that because that that comes back later. That's in Peter Pan too, except it's a pirate's life for me. Is it the same song? Right, I think so. We'll have to we can double check it, but I'm pretty sure that's High Dooley D of Pirate's Life for me is what they sing in Neverland. I think. It, and actually, it appears throughout this movie, all the many many characters besides uh, Foulfellow sing it. Stromboli has a kind of horrifying version of it as i recall <laughs> it's very catchy after yeah. i watched the movie i found myself uh singing high devil dd <laughs> over and over again yeah yeah what do you put in there what's what's the life for you oh it's still an actor's but i can ne- i can never remember the thing um the the thing that the, the things that an actor gets it's like a, a big top ho- coat and a silver cane yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, something. So yeah, I liked I liked the songs. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a couple I don't like in Snow White, but I think I think all of these are pretty good. When you wish upon a star is pretty overrated, but how could it not be? It's it's like the signature Disney song. Yeah, it's 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 become bigger than. No, and it won an Oscar, I think. Did it? So. I didn't look at that. Yeah, this 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 is yeah. So Snow White won an honorary Oscar, and uh, this movie won two Oscars, um, actually competitive Oscars, um, one for that song and one for the soundtrack in general. I think. Gotcha. So. Yeah. So. All right. Well, wrap us up, Michael. <laughs> I hope I didn't ruin Pinocchio for people, anybody. Where can people find? <laughs> <laughs> on second thought don't watch any more disney movies and definitely don't uh, un- unsubscribe them. from this podcast <laughs> we're talking about pinocchio <laughs> we're talking about fantasia next month which uh i i think is the real outlier in the disney catalog there's really nothing like this movie unless you count fantasia 2000 uh so uh ho- hopefully people will watch the, that in advance and send us their thoughts if you if they send us emails about fantasia we'll talk about them in the show that's right and you can email us at before they were live at gmail.com or you can go to our website which is before they were dot live and there's a, a form there that you can fill out it'll, it'll if you haven't been to, to that us. website josh really outdid himself in creating it it's a it's a it's a really great looking website with lots of good information in the show notes yeah so you can go look in there and uh Hopefully find some good show notes for this show also. So I would encourage you to do that. All right. Who's our press liaison? Kristen Filippic. <laughs> All right. And this has been on – we're proud members of the Christian Humanist Radio Network, uh, which is at christianhumanist.org. And you should go check that out too. Many fine shows on the uh, on the network. Thanks for listening. <laughs>